Hello, hello. Welcome into another episode of Blueprint to Canton. I believe this is episode eight. Uh, I'm Nelly, as usual, at a Nelly Ticks on Twitter. And uh, one of these days, I'll get my exact Discord username. I think I've said that the past five weeks, but I'm in there. Uh, with me is Austin at Devi Deets. How you doing, Austin? I'm good. Thanks for having me back on the show. I had to. We had to cleanse the paddle a little bit after Colin being on so recently. So. Yeah, I think since we had you on, I've had on Colin, I've hit on had on Mike and uh, Mike Valerie, and I've talked to myself twice. So it's been a downward trajectory a little bit, I bet. <laughs> gotta solo stop talking to myself. Tough. Solo pods are tough, man. You gotta you gotta just carry a conversation for like you know 30, 40 minutes. They they're a lot more difficult than people realize. Yeah, I, I think like I have thoughts, but it's the the transitions between thoughts of like I'll just kind of keep going on a little bit rather than like I can't stop and let someone else talk and think about next steps. It's like it's all got to be in a flow. And my thoughts as they are, I actually had this described to me recently. Uh, when I talk, it's like I have like 20 tabs open in a browser and I jump from tab to tab to tab. And then I go back and revisit a previous tab and go in order again. Um, so things are a little bit jumbled. I have too many tabs open in my brain pretty often. Gotta, you gotta break that habit, man. I I've started recently doing fewer tabs, like real tabs. And it's made my, it actually has made my life better. You just gotta let go, man. Gotta let go of the mental tabs, the real tabs, all the tabs. <laughs> but what if I want to revisit an old tab? I can't close it out quite yet. <laughs> no, that, that's a good question. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't have a good response to that. <laughs> that's what bookmarks in the history are for. But uh, anyway, uh, we could, we could start talking about strategy here. I have a few topics I want to get into. Uh, first one is I'll, I'll run through them here quickly. First one is uh, coaching changes in college football and how that affects uh, player and player trajectories. We'll talk about that briefly. I, I know that that's a discussion I want to have with, with the CFF specific guy uh, down the line, probably in the off season uh, when that's the more of a hot topic. But I think it also comes into play for, uh, for some present day decisions. So I do want to touch on a little bit. And then um, the bigger topic I want to talk about this week is uh, the, the Debbie running back landscape in college football right now. And it's, it's, uh, it's really, it's weakness. Uh, and so how, how do we navigate that in C2C? And then just in general, how do we prefer uh, positions in comparison to each other with, with uh, kind of the high-value players that, that everyone has on their roster? Um, but I guess to start off with, let's, let's talk these coaching changes. Um, I, I'm going to throw a couple names out here right away, which is breaking the, the number one rule. But... I, I just want to point out there are players this year that have that have surprised uh, that we didn't see coming. And I think more notably, there are players that have disappointed this year that we didn't see coming. And if you go through that list, like a lot of those names are due to coaching changes. The, the one that's most notable to me is um, Cotton Salter at Liberty is having a phenomenal year. Uh, they brought in a new coach from Coastal Carolina. Uh, Jamie Chadwell, I believe his name is, um, a very quarterback-friendly system. And what happened is he left Coastal Carolina and Grayson Call, who was a phenomenal CFF quarterback. That system has translated more than the talent has held up in terms of really Grayson McCall 
Hunt's fantasy points have turned into Kyden Salter's fantasy points. Grayson McCall stinks in a normal offense for fantasy purposes right now. That's happening all over the country. KJ Jefferson lost his offensive coordinator. He's been terrible for fantasy. Um, it, it's it's the and there is so much movement in college football that um, that it's it's it makes it more difficult from year to year to predict players' success on on the college front. I, I, I agree. Um, I think I, I, um, so I, there are that you just in a C2C league, you can't do everything. Like you can't handle every single kind of angle of how to address your team every year yourself. There are some places where you just kind of have to go and either get the data from somebody else or trust the, you know, somebody else's opinion. Coaching changes is really one of those where I have a couple of people that I really, really trust. And basically whatever they say on that front, I listen to them. Um, do you want, I mean, I, I, not to offend anybody, because I think the CFF community at large is pretty good at getting that information out. But the people that I really like are Nate Marquise, who is here with us. And he does big articles for every single uh, conference, every single year, offseason April, May ish saying like, you know, here's the new guy. Here's what they're known for. So I trust Nate Marquise. Um, JD Yonke, I think is really, really good generally at kind of articulating uh, how coaching changes impact players. And then doesn't really do much content anymore, but Kyle Francis was very, 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 very good at it as well. Um, so I, I completely outsource that. Uh, I just don't have the bandwidth to, to handle that quite frankly, but I agree. I mean, I think it, it makes a huge difference. And like you said, you know, there are play. I mean, you basically just are praying every offseason that you get caught on the good side of it. You know, you were really praying that you had Kate on Salter on a roster and not Grayson McCall. Cause I think most people knew pretty quick, like right away, like that. This is probably not a positive thing for a guy like Grayson McCall. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. But I will say, like, a lot of it is just uncertainty. And so I, I actually like how you mentioned you can't do everything yourself you have to outsource things in in c2c leagues i think that's a really important thing to remember an important thing to do because like time is limited and there's so many things going on and so using your time in valuable ways and outsourcing things that you can is is a is a valuable method and like i mean i do the same thing in different aspects like i don't i don't do any sort of rec or, uh, recruiting work on my own that's something that i outsource to you guys and recruiting services in terms of just piggybacking knowledge there um but the the thing is with the coaching changes is like as is a lot of or as are a lot of areas that are projections they're purely projections and it's really tough to say exactly how things are going to go um the reason why I want to bring up this topic and um, is kind of what I was leading towards when I mentioned it in the intro is I like trading when, when I'm making an all in move and I'm trading for CFF assets, I want those assets to be not just useful for this year. I want it to be multiple years. And that's not, that's not to say I'm expecting them to have NFL futures. I would just rather trade for a sophomore that's producing right now rather than a senior that's producing right now. Because if I'm pushing my chips like onto the table, I'm going all in for this year, I want at least a little bit of a, a catch safe of, hey, if I don't win this year, I'm screwed. Like I, I, I want that value to kind of continue for years. And so 
like getting guys who have multiple years in the future is important to me. That being said, the coaching changes are something that you can't avoid and it's hard to predict in season. And so that's kind of a counter to my thought there. Um, I, do you have any sort of thoughts on like on caring about multiple years of eligibility when you're pushing your chips into the table for going all in? Yeah, it's, it's funny. Cause I guess like in a, you know, just a perfect world, obviously getting more, you know, potential really good years out of a player is always you know, a, a good thing. And, and it, you know, it's, more more of good is is better than less of good. So on that part, I agree with. I think for me, I tend to find it more difficult to pry those players away from another manager. And when I'm looking for, uh, like if I have a, a college roster that I think can compete, but you know I want to add two receivers before the end of the season. I did this in a league this week. I am literally just looking for the path of least resistance to acquisition. I don't want to haggle with you. I don't want to have you nickel and dime me over this player. I I feel like I'm generally pretty fair with the first offer. And if you send me something back that's like, you know, close, I'll, I'll probably say yes. But I, so like guys, you know, again, we don't want to mention names here, but they're, you know, maybe running back from Boise or running back from, you know, Syracuse or um, I'm trying to think of some other guy. I mean, there are other, you know, guys out there. Uh, I think running back is where I, I see it the most. Um, I just, I just don't want to haggle with that person. I think that person generally is like, well, I get this guy for two or three more years. Why would I want to move him? Like, I just feel you get to spend more and I would just rather take the slightly lesser option, but that's just me. Yeah, that is a good point. Cause in concept, the multi years is useful, but in practice, it's like the person who rosters the players also probably recognizes that. I guess the concept is also waiver adjacent in terms of if I'm picking up two, if I'm, if I'm wanting to pick up a guy off waivers, who's going to be CFF useful instantly. If one of those guys is a junior and the other is a senior, I'm picking up the, the junior every single time, assuming all else is equal because you get those multiple years ahead of you. Um, but I mean, I think other people, a lot of people do view that the same way. And so like, if you're in trade talks, it will be, it will add a little bit of value. Yeah. Like sometimes I think it's, it's, it's better. Cause yeah, sometimes people be like, I've, I've got three more games of this guy. I'll take like a seventh round pick or something. And it's like, cool. Okay. I mean, and this it could legitimately win me a league and I'm paying, paying that price. You know, there, there are definitely guys out there this year that I'm targeting that are like that. So um, yeah, I, 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 I get what you're saying. I just find in practice, that's one that I personally have not had a lot of luck executing. Cause I, I just, I don't want to be stingy, but I'm like trying to obviously spend the least amount possible to make my team better at the end of the season. So I'm not crippling myself for next year. Right. Yeah. And I guess, so one last little note here that actually just occurred to me is while Fantrax has absolutely gotten their stuff together, uh, comparatively to past years, there are some some rare occasions where eligibility is wrong on the website. And uh, so if you find those cases, if you are able to do the due diligence to find those guys that are maybe labeled as a senior but have another year left, uh, that's something that you can take advantage of. I think uh, I can't remember his name, but the number one wide receiver at Georgia State is labeled as a a senior on fan tracks, but actually has another year of eligibility left if he wants. It's it's cases like those that there are some uh, there's some gray area. Nick um, with CGC winning edge does a really good job of tracking it. I do think the one uh, hiccup that's in there right now is that 
Uh, and I think it's being tested with a guy like uh, George Halani is like the because there are going there are players that are now claiming that if they weren't able to play in 2020, that not only do they get the COVID free year, but they also get a red shirt out of that year. There are players that are legitimately playing those cards, and it seems like it's probably going to work. So we might even get some other guys pull years of eligibility out of their butts that we did not realize that they had. So I think that's going to be a bit of a mess over the next couple of years too. Yeah, we'll see how that plays out. That one is, I don't know if, I don't know. Eligibility is, no one actually knows how it works. So they should have, this is like I said, they, they, if you wanted that free year, you shouldn't have played. You shouldn't have been allowed to play. Sorry. Like you choose either a year or not a year. Like, cause now you've got these guys playing eight, nine, 10 years and it's just freaking ridiculous. But that's a totally different discussion for a completely different show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, you're completely right, but it's, I don't know. There was like, it was like a no in proposition. It was, I feel like if that was the rule at the time, the NCAA would have gotten a lot of flack for it. Probably. Um, they used to it. Come on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the NCAA more? getting flack would have been shocking. Um, but okay, let's, let's talk about uh, the Debbie running back landscape as a whole, um, and then follow it up with how to handle that. So, like, obviously coming into this year, there were a handful of running backs that a lot of people felt good about, myself included. Um, I just – I'll list off names here so that it's not as if we're actively avoiding names, but we're not going to actually talk about them in specific. But, like, guys like – Guys like Rocket Sanders, Quinshawn Junkins, even Nick Singleton, Trey Henderson. Like these were all guys who were in top 10, 15, 20 of people's Debbie rankings uh, coming into this year. And all of those players have disappointed in one way or the other. The only guy who has like not gone stock down is Braylon Allen out of kind of the top group. Um, and there are other guys that were in the the next kind of tiers after that that have also disappointed. They're like there have been more guys that have disappointed than guys that have stepped up. Um, so, with that in mind, one was that predictable or is this just bad variance? And uh, two, are well, let, let's answer that first, and and we'll ask questions following up on that. I, I think ba- probably bad variance because I think some of it's been due to injury this year. I would, I'm curious to hear your thoughts because I think, you know, again, we're not we're not doing micro takes here, but we are, you know, I think for the purposes of discussion, we have to name these players just to, you know, kind of give an idea here. Like, I think Judkins is bouncing back now. He was he was kind of injured at the beginning of the year. He's been pretty good the past couple of weeks. Um, but like, you know, Travion's been hurt. Sit Rocket's been hurt and he gained a bunch of weight inexplicably for for no reason whatsoever. Um I'm trying to think of some of some of these other guys that have been kind of dinged up this year, but I, I think a lot of the guys at the top just have been injured and mostly injured. So I do think it was kind of bad luck, but I do think the coin flip stuff um, comes in. Like I, I say this all the time, like you know, you get a rookie class and you're projecting it like a year or two out, and you've got you know you're you're saying these, there are ten names that I have to pay attention to in this class, and people say, well, what happens when some of those guys fall off? And it's like usually. If you have 10 names, if three of them drop off their last year of eligibility, three other guys essentially will like the coin will flip the opposite direction. They'll kind of step into those roles. Like those, those spots more or less or less are kind of locked in in terms of the number of players that we're probably going to be interested in. And I think 
Um, like this was just, I completely forgot where I was going with this. Um, oh yeah. I just think like, this is just like the opposite of that. Like we had like all these guys and just like the coin flipped the completely incorrect way. And now we're stuck like with nothing, which is what makes Debbie so hard. You, you have an actual player as opposed to one of those slots. Right. Yeah. And it, it does a lot of it's injury, but also like injury happens. It might be worse right now, but injuries happen all the time. We always have guys who drop off from injury and the NFL cares about injury. So it's not like it doesn't matter going forward either. Um, I guess th the concern for me is it's not just the 24 class, right? It's like the 25 class feels weak at the top as well. Uh, like, Singleton and Judkins are the top two guys. Both those guys have disappointed this year. Uh, there may be some other guys emerging deeper down, but like the top feels weak. Freshman class, no one has really done a ton yet. It's still a little bit too early to say. Even the incoming freshman class, I know you've talked about this. The incoming freshman running back classes is extremely weak. So I'm wondering over the course of four years, is that – like the beginning of a trend like is is just running back play in general going down and is that a position that we have to devalue in 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 prospecting that's where i was going with that before i completely lost my train of thought there are going to be fewer slots in the future here i think of legitimate running backs because i think the nfl doesn't care about the position like why i think if you're a good athlete if you're if you're six foot 185 and maybe you would have bulked to 210 in the past. You just get to six foot 190 and you go play wide receiver if you've got any sort of receiving chops. Like I, I think we're seeing a lot of those guys. Like I think in 20 years ago, Luther Burden might have been a running back. Like he's kind of like one of those thick guys that, you know, you, you want to get the ball in his hands around the line of scrimmage and let him go to work. Like, you know, the Debo back. I think that guy would have been a running back. I think there are kind of, more and more of those kind of receivers. If I just pull up like our, our top 10 rankings, like I could have seen Zachariah branch being a scat back. I could have seen, um, a, a guy like, I don't know. I'm trying to look at those lists here. This might actually not like Jalen McMillan types, I think would have been running backs potentially. So I do think that the, the, or, or they're switching to linebacker edge. I think, we're going to see a lot fewer of those guys coming into school, which reduces the, the, the number of, you know, future slots where, you know, maybe two guys have a bad year, two guys have a good year. If there used to be six or seven of those guys a year, and now there's four or five. It just narrows that, um, you know, kind of um, amount of positive outcomes for us uh, moving forward. So, yeah, I, th I'm, I think it's definitely concerning. Yeah, I think that's a super plausible explanation, especially when you like it's it's. It makes sense if you think about like the value of playing each position at the next level, which is ultimately, I think, a factor for the top athletes in the country making decisions on where they want to play long term. Um, so I guess that leads into the next question, which is, are you attacking running backs less when you're t with your high value uh, Debbie picks or high value picks that you're essentially looking for Debbie prospects? How many running backs at any given time in the NFL do you think like really make a difference anyway? Like on their own to fantasy teams, both, but more for like NFL purposes. Cause I think that's the more, cause I think in general, if the NFL finds them valuable, we're more likely to find them valuable for what we're doing. Less than 10 in a given season. 
I mean, if you look at betting lines for like the best players or the best running backs missing games, like even the best running backs missing game only move the line like a point max, usually half a point. So that's, I think, I, I usually look at it, yeah, it's like a bell curve, like, you know, maybe 10% of the backs at any given time in the NFL, like, matter, and then 80% in the middle can do the job if they need to on any given week, and then the bottom 10% are probably just there because you can't find somebody else stupid enough to run full speed into five 300-pound dudes that are just trying to kill you. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I, the NFL doesn't think they're valuable. They probably, like at any given time, aren't that many guys in the NFL anyway. They're like actually difference makers. I'm actually going to attack it less probably. I'm going to have at any given time try to have a couple of just, you know, freak athlete, running back kind of prospect guys on my team and kind of just fingers crossed and the rest of it. I'll probably just go in any given year, you know, go acquire a, a David Montgomery or uh, and Gus Edwards or, you know, one of these guys that, probably is like isn't any functionally better than Zach Charbonnet who's not doing anything this year or uh, Jalen Warren or or one of these guys like I, I I think that's how I approach I'll just I, I won't probably spend up on it because I think they're a little more difficult to project too like we don't have a lot of you know really good like early career metrics that point to future NFL success at least I don't you might you're the the, the, the data guy you might have a more intelligent answer on that it's definitely easier to predict wide receivers, and those are the two volume positions in terms of like numbers of guys that are getting drafted in Debbie drafts. Um, I will say, like, I think the value you get, the value of a replacement that you get from a top uh, fantasy running back is greater than a top fantasy wide receiver. And so if you can hit on a Christian McCaffrey or – I mean, that's obviously – that's the top, but like the Saquon before he gets hurt or what we think Brees and, and Bijan can be. Like, I think that's more valuable than hitting on the top wide receivers um, because I think the ceiling just because of the volume of touches is higher. Um, and if the position becomes even that much more scarce at the top – scarce, scarce, take your pick um, – then finding those guys at the top becomes even that much more valuable. So, yes, projecting it is harder. Yes, it's going to be an even smaller denominator of successes, I believe, moving forward. But I definitely do think it's still worth taking a shot, taking shots on those guys at the top. So here, like here, I, that's a really good point. Um, if you have a running back who kind of breaks out as a freshman and he's got, you know, NFL size and everyone says he's an NFL level athlete and all that kind of jazz. Would you look to, to, to turn them into an NFL running back sooner rather than later? Like just, you know, trade them, trade them off to somebody who is a little hung up on the, you know, my, my running back just turned 25. Now what do I do kind of uh, deal? Yeah. I mean, probably, uh, it's really difficult because, as you talked about, a lot of NFL running backs are replaceable. And 
uh, that kind of stands true in fantasy as well. Like it's really all that matters is the volume that the players are getting uh, and then the offensive line and the scheme that they're playing in. Like the actual talent of a vast majority of NFL running backs doesn't actually matter that much towards fantasy points. Um, but if you can get a guy who is basically on the upper echelon of that category of running backs that don't matter, like a running back that people think matter, um, then I think it's probably worth it because, I mean, we have exactly what you just described. We've had that the past couple years, and those guys have disappointed because it's hard not to disappoint when the outcome slash expectation that matters is becoming like absolutely elite and like a, a phenomenal prospect. It's just a losing battle to to stick with the player if that is their expectation. Yeah, I think that's fair. I do think I also I think the thing that does help if you if that's your goal because I do that with quarterbacks a lot too is that um, I think it's running back. Like I, I know it's more difficult in terms of like pro- kind of projecting after the freshman year, but I do think when it's obvious, like it's obvious unless a guy gets hurt. Like I like you wouldn't sell, you would not have sold freshman year Bijan Robinson in that regard, probably. Like you probably wouldn't have sold freshman year Jonathan Taylor in that regard. Like I do think when it's obvious, it's obvious after the freshman year. And so you don't have to make that mistake. And if it's not like, duh, then I think I I don't have a problem moving those guys away. So I guess with me, like for me, it's less obvious. Cause I mean, I don't, I like for me, my main evaluation is the production and, I mean, listening to other people's opinions as well obviously comes into play because I know production isn't everything. But, like, I look at, like, Bijan's freshman year compared to Trayvon Henderson's freshman year, and it's like, I mean, I was one of – I didn't – I was not of the opinion – there were people that were taking Henderson over Bijan after after that freshman year, and that wasn't me. But, like, I was taking Why? Henderson right after Bijan. Why weren't you taking him over Bijan? Because we had two years of Bijan, okay, that that's one year is Travion. I was going to say because it was, I, in, in my opinion, it was obvious. But I also think that Travion, you know, was borderline on that tier too. So I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, and so like, so you say that with 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 it being obvious, but like for me, I felt like it was pretty obvious with Travion too. Uh, a guy like Nick Singleton, like the production was there as a freshman, like the traits were there. Everyone was saying the traits were there, and and I mean, he's he's. It feels like he's disappointing this year. It hasn't been a uh, a train wreck, but he hasn't lived up to expectation this year. So it's like that. I I understand like or like I myself fall into the trap of oh this is the next one uh, when when it's just it just doesn't happen like that every time. No, I think for sure, and I do think I think most people were saying uh I, I think most people were not have basic it's like that tier, tier zero kind of player essentially when they're when they're not in the nfl yet and i'm like trying to formulate this thought so you don't have to edit this episode at all as we're as we're talking here um There, there have only been a couple of those guys, I think, in the past like decade plus. I think Saquon, I think Bijan, I think 
Jonathan Taylor was thought of like that by the public at large, and for some reason he fell, but he has been pretty much that in the NFL as long as he hasn't been injured. And then like Trent Richardson was the one before that. And even he was like really good that first year. Like I, I think like the I think like the public at large does a really, really good job at running back of being like this guy's a dude after their first year and that guy becoming a dude in the NFL, more or less. I think it's kind of like figuring if your guy ran for 700 yards and two touchdowns as a freshman, it's kind of hard to figure out. If that dude went out there and ran for like 1,212, like I think you mostly are like, yeah, okay, that guy's probably really freaking good. And then Which it also fe- it John feels did not do for the record, but he was like returning kicks and stuff. And you were like, okay, like, yeah. Yeah. And just like that Colorado runs game. on like yeah. five to 10 touches yeah. bending over up. his like back shoulders, touching his like shoulder blades, touching the ground, bending backwards and being completely healthy. It was like, what this is, guy's not built the same way as everyone else. What did he do against Colorado in that bowl game? It was like 250 <sighs> yards on like 12 carries or something like that. Yeah. It's just like, you know, freshmen don't really do that. Usually. Yeah. But, like, I mean, Quinton Junkids went out there and he put up the numbers last year, too. And he did it in the SEC. And um, he did it over, like, over Zach Evans, who, while isn't maybe who we thought he was, is still like a former five star recruit that has a decent amount of talent in his own right. Like, people, people were not saying that it was obvious with him, and rightfully so, because it's yeah. not. But there is a little bit of, uh, there's a little it, it's it's there's more to it than just the box stores the box score stuff and what i struggle with is quantifying that that level of or the quantifying what there what that is that is the more to it yeah that that's a fair point um i do again i will i will reiterate i, I know we don't want to give you know this player's good this player's bad on the show but i do think that judkins is going to be fine here i think he was just injured to start the season i think he's going to be still really good so um you know not not that upper upper touch in the ceiling tier of player, but I, I think he's going to be good. Yeah. Okay. So let's because this kind of ha- I mean it happens on the NFL where there are waves of like good NFL running back production and then it goes down and it goes back up. It's sort of like that kind of offenses uh, adjust and then defenses adapt and there's waves of kind of the trends in the league. Uh, the same goes for, for wide receivers as well. Um, but there's actually also this trend that I've seen specifically with running backs where like the waves of when running backs come into the league, it's like, not, we get two, three, every single year over and over and over. It's like, they come in batches and it's kind of like for whether it's coincidence or not, NFL teams are like swapping in and out these batches at the same time. And so the last batch I guess it was 2017. That was a massive class of, of good NFL players. That group is going to be old. I mean, they are old. They're like 28 to 30 right now. I don't like, it's going to be really interesting. This isn't even a, this is just a thought. Like it's going to be interesting to see what happens as they kind of continue to age, but there's not a big batch of influx of talent coming in to replace them. Uh, it's like maybe those players will continue to play a little bit older. Maybe that's like maybe this is a situation where you're in touch with the Debbie, the Debbie running back landscape, and you're like, 
hey, maybe these older players will stick around a little bit longer because there aren't elite replacements coming in. Uh, maybe it's worth going out and buying these guys who are kind of viewed as as soon to hit a, a, an age cliff. Um, I don't know because that you, I mean, even just a, a replaceable running back usually catches up to these these former elite players that age. Um, but it's that's I mean that's literally just a thought that came to mind right now as a way to take advantage of this. I don't I don't know. It's kind of unprecedented in my opinion in terms of like lots of t- running back talent aging off and not a lot coming back in to, to fill those shoes. Yeah, it is. It is really, really interesting. And that's a, a good thought. Here's another question for you. Um, if you are acquiring Debbie running backs with how much we're seeing some of these guys kind of drop off, if you are to do a startup or something like that, and you are drafting running backs, are you targeting a guy that is closer to the NFL now because you feel like the chance of injury is less and we kind of know what they are by that point? Or would you rather speculate on the young guy who can afford a bad season and still probably maintain a big chunk of their value because like people people kind of tend to give them the benefit of the doubt and say, like, oh, well, he's young. like He's got another year to like figure out you know, how to run between the tackles, which I can think of two specific running backs this past year that kind of we're going into their their draft eligible year here, and everyone's like, "Well, they just got to figure out how to run between the tackles." Neither of them have. Now they've just kind of both, you know, their their value's been nuked. So they were closer to the NFL, but they they're running out of excuses really quickly. It's that it's a tough question. I mean, I think there's like a tier of guys who you know what they are, and that's a good thing. And then you go for the unknown, and then. And by the way, that tier is is tiny. It's like maybe non-existent right now. But there's a tier of guys who you know who they are. And then there's the young guys who could be something great, but probably won't be. And then there's that next tier of guys who we know what they are, and that's probably a bad thing. Um, no and right unknowns, now... No knowns and unknown knowns. Is that what we're getting into here? Yeah, I, that, that's what we're getting into here. But like right now, that tier of like... That tier of, uh, what is what the the known known? Is that what you're describing it as? Have you ever heard those? Like that's like the known knowns, known unknowns, unknown known, or and then like unknown unknowns or whatever. It's like a a grid and like you I forget. It was like some Bush era warhawk and in there that would that talked about it like i, I forget who it was but I, the the it, the the thought process behind it like fascinates me like we don't know something about this guy but we know we don't know it and that could be a good thing or we don't know something and we don't know like we when we don't know it so that could be a bad thing like you know it, that whole that whole philosophical debate is fun we're gonna have to if we need a filler week for this show, we need to just go through the list of running backs and put them into that grid, <laughs> put them into those grids. But like the list of known knowns right now that are good is like, I don't know if there's a single name that I would want over like, like I think over the top freshman running backs, like there are very few backs that I would want right now. Um, because the known knowns are all we know the a lot of flaws. Like even the guys who like the guys who have risen to the top of the class, it's kind of been forced. It's like you guys are the only guys who are actually doing something. 
Um, and so it's almost even those guys for me, it feels like there might still be a little bit too much optimism with them. Probably. It feels like a lot of guys are in that like early fourth round NFL draft capital type value ish, but you know, someone's got to be the RB five off the board, you know? So, I mean, eventually it's good. Some, we got to draft somebody in these leagues or, or whatever. Yeah, well, and we've kind of seen a trend lately of running back draft capital going down, and the 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 pure, the true volume of running backs drafted in the first three rounds has gone down really drastically over the past, I, I think, five years. It's been like it's been like almost halved, um, and I don't think that's changing in the upcoming classes because the talent's not there, and the NFL is getting sharper in terms of understanding the value of of these high pick contracts. Um, so it, it, there's also, there's gotta be an adjustment on our end in terms of how we view that draft capital, like early fourth rounds might be like running backs two and three this year in, yeah. in the upcoming draft. Like that, that really could happen. Um, it's tough to say, but I guess, okay. So with the running back landscape being bad, is is the wide receiver landscape like better or are we just like are we just hurting for talent as a whole that's a it's a really good question um i think the wide receiver landscape right now is like pretty is pretty good i think we're missing outside of i think there's like one Consensus wise, I would say there's like one like truly elite, elite prospect in college right now. And then a couple like really good ones, but it's, I think it's really difficult to be considered like an elite prospect. And I, I you know, I think there's a, guy, a lot of guys that are probably close, but not there. But I think there are a lot of guys in that second kind of perceived second, third tier. Cause I think how the NFL would view it is, you know, a guy that's like a top five pick overall at wide receiver. That's like an elite prospect. And then you're talking like a top 15, 10 to 15 guy is kind of like that next tier. And then kind of those late first round, maybe they trickle barely into the second round is kind of like that tier three. I think we have a lot of those tier two, tier three guys right now. And I think that's okay. You know, I, I don't, I don't mind. I, I, I kind of actually prefer it that way. Have a lot of those guys and kind of pick your poison and, and figure out what you like and what the NFL is going to like. Yeah. It feels like this upcoming class is going to be strong. Oh boy. I'm going to get some dog barking coming in right now. Um, if if she starts barking, I will edit this out. Okay. I'll I'll edit this out either way. Um, but no, this 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 incoming rookie class is good at wide receiver. Like it feels really deep in those tiers that you just described. Um, I mean, no names, but Maserati Marv needs a name mention. Um, but even the following class, there's a couple really good guys, and then there are guys that are emerging as well. And it sounds like the incoming freshman class, I'll, I'll skip over the current freshman class because we don't have that much information on them, but it sounds like the incoming freshman class is also going to be very strong. Yeah, um, we really like it. We really, really like it. So, And obviously, again, you know, you never know, but I think if you just have more names that are probably good, you know, just a higher probability of more guys ending up good. Yeah. I'm just wondering, like, is like the twelfth, like is the the twelfth overall pick in like a a C two C startup like worth less than it was? Like uh, for me, I'm trying to figure out like is the running back, the 
the lack of elite running back talent trend that seems like it's it's uh, starting occurring. I don't know what stage we're in of that. Is like is that being picked up elsewhere, or is there just simply less talent? Because I, I guess, in my opinion, it just feels like there's less talent. Like it feels like at the top, there's less guys I feel good about than um, I guess I would have expected to and have in past years. Do you think we're just getting more data and are able to filter out a little more effectively? Like those, you know, not even like 50, 50, you know, like, you know, 40, 60 kind of profiles that we would kind of hang on to a little longer than maybe we should have in the past. That's true. I mean, we learn, we're learning constantly and like, we're learning from our misses more than our hits. And there are a lot of misses in Debbie. So like, we're getting better at figuring that out. Like in past years, I don't think people would be down on a guy like Trey Henderson, like we are now. Um, because I think there's a little bit of there, there was naivety that there isn't in terms of injury and play style and just how that occurs or how that affects future prospects. Um, and, and there are certainly other situations as well. Um, but that is a good point. I mean, we're getting better and better. At projecting and the the bottom line is like there's only so many players that hit and it's much smaller than the pool of players that as a whole have a chance to hit according to the community so like the better we get at that like i think the bleaker it will seem probably and i think part of that is too is that i think guys are coming into school more prepared now so if they are really bad early like i think that means they probably like obviously you see some guys that aren't aren't you know again, like just quote unquote, like good their freshman years, but they kind of figured out. But I think those guys become so much rarer nowadays because of seven on seven and, you know, high end, high, you know, more specialized high school football stuff and like more specialized training. Like, I just think like we 10 years ago, if you have a guy that, that's six, three and runs a four, four as a five-star receiver and he goes to Georgia and does this is actually i'm not describing an actual person this is like literally i'm making this up as i go um and they go to georgia and they play like three snaps their freshman year we'd be like well he's just waiting his turn like you'll figure it out and like now we're like that guy probably isn't very good like he should, probably should have played a lot more as a freshman and i think we can see that at a lot of different positions outside of maybe quarterbacks since you really only play one of those at any given time so i yeah i think i think there are a lot of factors that are making it maybe appear a little bleaker at the top, but I think it also should in theory mean that we're probably doing a little better with our early round picks than we would have been a decade ago. And I wasn't playing this format a decade ago, but I think, I think this is probably true. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. And I think this just goes to back up the theory of like, Selling off Debbie assets for known NFL commodities is a better move more often than not. I know that's yeah. something that gets talked about in more more episodes than not for this show so far. But I mean, I think it's a one of the most important strategic concepts to to use. So I think I think that's just worth reiterating. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, let Let's close this out here. Um, I think this was this was great discussion. I think there'll be more talk about this down the line and more coaching talk with someone who knows more about it than myself and and then Austin. Um, but thank you guys for listening. Appreciate it. Uh, have a good day.